0: Good evening and welcome to Straight Talk with Andrea Joyce. Thank you for joining me this Wednesday evening. I really truly enjoy and am blessed with your support. This week there's something of course that was on my mind, in my heart, in my spirit, and it touched me this past weekend and I wanted to share it with you, talk to you about it. If you have any comments for the show, today's show, or any show that's happened previously, or if you have any show ideas, please send me a message on here on my page on Anchor, or you can email me at authorandreajoyce at gmail.com, authorandreajoyce at gmail.com. What struck me is a phrase, a song from a soundtrack that just stuck with me it's one of my favorite songs from any soundtrack Uh, it's called what would i do if i could feel it's from the wiz soundtrack the wiz is one of my favorite movies it was one of my favorite plays uh growing up you know the play starred stephanie mills whereas the movie starred diana ross both phenomenal talents actors and singers my 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 and so the movie is still in the top three of my favorite things to watch for the soundtrack um my children love it too they've been doctrine indoctrined with it indoctrinated (laughs) with it um all through their lives and now they choose it for themselves so there are times when we'll be in the car And I won't be thinking about music and my children will turn the soundtrack on. It will always catch me unaware because I'll be thinking about something else. But I realized as I sat there and talked with my daughter, we were talking about it. What would I do if I could feel is my favorite song on that soundtrack? And I dare say it's one of my or is my favorite song on any of the soundtracks of any of the movies that I love dearly. And it's because it's so powerful that today, tonight, I decided I wanted to discuss with you if I could feel. And I want to read some of the lyrics. Hopefully I won't get in trouble for doing that. I want to read some of the lyrics to you from the song. It was sang by Nipsey Russell, R.I.P., Mr. Russell, one of my uh, favorite actors, too. Um, He reminds me a lot of my dad. There are a couple of actors that remind me of my dad, Daniel, and he's one of them, especially his dance moves. But the song says, what would I do if I could suddenly feel and to know once again that what I feel is real? I could cry. I could smile. I might lay back for a while. Oh, tell me what? What could I do? if I could feel. And as I'm reading the lyrics to you, I'm actually singing the song in my head and it took me a lot not to sing it to you because you do not want to hear my singing voice, not in the least. I would not put that on you. Now let's take this into the context of the movie. In the movie, Mr. Nipsey Russell plays the Tin Man and this Tin Man has been stuck underneath this giant mannequin like statue and they roll the statue off of him and he's like because he's been stuck there so long his body cannot move Uh, later on after this song comes a very fun song that I love slide some oil to me so that way he can move But I thought it very apropos for life, this song, and how deep it really is. It's one of the shortest songs on the soundtrack, but it has, for me, one of the biggest and longest and deepest meanings. What would I do if I could suddenly feel? How many of us, because of heartbreak, because of disappointment, because of betrayal, because of disloyalty, because of negative emotions have put our emotions in a box and that box is locked. Not only is the box locked, it's locked with chains around it. Remember the uh, pirate treasures, they would have a lock, a flap that locked, but then they would have chains wrapped around it. And those chains would be locked with a padlock. And uh, you had to have a key or a combination in order to open that lock. And then that treasure chest, was buried far, far, far beneath the earth, right? And you would have to have a map or something in order to figure out where this treasure chest was. Well, many of us have a treasure chest that holds our hearts, that holds our emotions. See, what he was saying in the song, he could not feel. He had no emotions. He had been so caught up in life and things that happened, he had been trapped under a heavy weight. He no longer could feel. He didn't know what it was like to laugh or to cry or to care or have compassion or be concerned or to love. And how many of us can relate? We've buried our treasure the treasure being our feelings and our emotions, our hearts. And where our hearts should be, there's an empty space. So when we meet people, or when people come to us, they are met with a wall that they cannot penetrate. What would I do if I could suddenly feel? How many of you have met someone, and let's be honest, this is adult conversation, adult talk, have met someone And you want to like them. You want to be the person you used to be. You want to be open to them and believe them and trust them and give them 100% of yourself and give them an opportunity. But because of your past, because of pain, because of negative emotions, they get the wall that you have placed over yourself, over your heart, over your mind. So they can't get in. And you really want to love this person. You really want to like this person. But you're kind of put off. You're kind of pushed away from them. You're, you're kind of distant. And so they come. And how many of us say this to ourselves, if I could feel, if I could get past this blase, nonchalant, laid back, non-caring, I don't care anymore because I've been hurt too many times attitude. Well, the song goes on and it says, what would I do if I could reach inside of me and to know how it feels to say I like what I see? I'd be more than glad to share all that I have inside of here and the songs of my heart might bring, you be more than glad to sing. Well, in this part of the song, and I think it's so appropriate, what would I do if I could reach inside of myself and to know how it feels to say, I like what I see. One of the issues that comes into play when talking about relationships when talking about overcoming negative emotions and moving forward in life is we have to deal with the meat of the matter. And the meat of the matter is us. How do we see ourselves? Do we like what we see? How can we ask someone to like the best of us when we don't like us? We see the best of us as the worst of us and we attract and draw in people who see it and use it to their advantage at times. But what would it be like if we could reach inside of ourselves and honestly like what we see? I wrote a book called 31 Ways to Self-Care. In that book, tip two or chapter two, talks about looking inside yourself. It's important and the book can be done in any order. But for me, tip one, chapter one, tip two, chapter two, look inside. Chapter two is look inside. See yourself as chapter one. For me, before I could go further in the self-care tips and tricks and testimonies and stories, I had to get past chapter one and chapter two. I had to execute them first before I could go further with exercise or eating well or smelling the flowers or anything like that, because it would not have been real if first I did not look inside and see what was going on with me. What was going right? What was going wrong? What needed to change? What needed to be analyzed? What needed to be accepted? What needed to be acknowledged? What needed to happen inside of me? Was I carrying any betrayal? Was I carrying any any backlash from betraying someone or someone betraying me? Were there any anger issues? Were there any feelings of low self-esteem and low self-worth and no self-love? Were there any feelings of neglect, abandonment, betrayal, What was going on inside of me? Not only the negative, but the positive. Did I like myself? Did I see areas of improvement? Did I see areas where I overcame some things? Did I see some successes and some victories within my emotions, with my internal self, with my natural self, with my spiritual self? Did I see those things that that i could salute myself for or say congratulations you took one step forward congratulations you you improved a little bit so looking inside my soul helped me to care for myself so those areas where i still had trouble where i still held and carried negative emotion I had to acknowledge that there was some negativity there, some things that needed to be taken care of, resolved, some things that needed to be pulled out by the root. I had to acknowledge it. I had to accept who I was in this moment or in that moment. I wasn't Andrea of 2000. I wasn't Andrea of 1990. I wasn't an Andrea of 1980, and that's as far as I'm going back. I was Andrea of 2020, because that's when I began writing. No, 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 no. That's when I began self-caring. The book did not come until 2021, this year. But I began self-caring in 2020, when it really meant something. When it really, all the years I you know, did hear things here or did things there, But in 2020, I was. um, I was. Detailed, I was really into I am going to love myself, I am going to care for myself, I am going to pick myself up out of the muck and mire, I am going to make some improvements, I'm going to make some changes, I'm going to celebrate myself, just different things. I became. Um, My plan became to change in a good way, in the ways that were. I felt that. I needed it for my own health, not just my physical health, but my spiritual health, my financial health, my relational health, my mental health. I needed to have change. So I had to look at myself internally and see what adjustments I needed to make in order to be comfortable with myself. I became determined. It became, I became my project. I had had many projects throughout life, but I became my own project. God worked on me from 2008 to 2014 strategically and specifically in the area of relationships. God worked on me. I followed God's blueprint. But in 2020, I became the one who was um, taking the front role, the front, the lead in caring for myself and changing some things within myself. That became my commitment to me. That became number one. This project called Who is Andrea? What changes does Andrea need to make? What areas of improvement are there? What has she been doing okay? What could be done better? What does she need to stop doing? How can she And things like that. So I became my own mission. My mission to go forward and to accomplish things. My mission to see myself as I really was and not hide. So that way, I would be a better me. We're always talking about improving ourselves. And we think physically, we think health wise, we think financially, but emotionally, mentally and spiritually, we need to be better as well. Our emotions are so Important, And it's important to know where we stand, how we feel, what affects us, what changes have already taken place, what changes we may need to make, what things we may need to go back and um, figure out, uh, things we may need to release. All of that is important in caring for yourself. So for me, taking a look inside was so very important. And then when I took the journey to see who I really was on the inside, I probably spent a few weeks on me, on the inside, just on the inside. I remember I told you that when I went away, I think this was the last broadcast, I had a book that I was using. It was called uh, 3,000 Questions. And... I'm actually pulling it out of the bookcase because I need to be going back to it if I can find it because um, it's been buried a little. Okay, I have it. It is not that book. (laughs) Okay, the actual title of the book. And I'm so glad I'm talking to you tonight because I'm going to add this in to my daily self-care. Every day I pick something to do to help me with self-caring for myself. So I am going to add this back in to the moments I have for self-care. The book is called 3,000 Questions About Me. Um, I'm trying to see who it's written by so I can tell you. Um... The publisher is Piccadilly. I guess Piccadilly is who wrote it and published it because I don't see anything else. And this book. Now, when I first saw the book, I thought it was, you know, an adolescent child book, something cute, you know, for a nine year old. So when my daughter showed it to me, I kind of chuckled and I was like, oh, that's cute. My 26-year-old has uh, (laughs) a 3,000 question book. But then I opened it. And when I tell you, when I opened it, the questions, I was like, oh, (laughs) are you sure you're old enough? Because I don't feel like I'm old enough to answer these questions. They are personal questions. These questions share with you you. Like it's 3,000 questions about me. Do you really know yourself? No, I have not gotten through 3,000 questions. Can I be honest with you? I've gotten to... hmm, Question 31. What is your greatest regret? And it took me so long to answer that question. Because unfortunately in my life, I have had some regrets. You know how you hear people say, oh, I don't regret anything. I have nothing to regret. I have no regrets. I'm not them. I have some regrets. I have some things I wish could have been done differently or that I had done differently. So when it came to that question, your greatest regret, it took me a while to answer the question. I don't even remember what the answer was. I have to go back and look. The reason why I stopped there is because number 32, I could not answer. And I don't even know if I'm ready right now to answer number 32. Yes, I'm going in order. See, I was going to jump around, but I don't want to miss anything. So I said, I'm going to do the questions in order. Number 32 says, how would you like to die? And eh. What? <laughs> Who wants to talk about their mortality? And so it kind of, I kind of stopped there and I did not go back. But as I'm talking to you today, I'm picking the book back up. I'm grabbing my journal book that I have that goes with it and I'm going to start answering questions. I would usually do three questions a day. It went to one question when the question started getting deep. I shared this with a friend of mine. And I just screenshot, I took a picture of one of the questions and she was like, you're blocked. <laughs> she was like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. How could you do that to me? So I say this to you because in 30 questions, this book had me looking at myself as I was already looking at myself, trying to figure out some things. I use the Bible, I read some scriptures that really helped me to open up and be honest. Because here's the thing, if you're going to do a journal, if you're going to do 31 ways to self care, if you're going to do 3000 questions about me, if you're going to do anything that has to do with journaling, the first thing you have to be is honest. You have to be truthful. You have to tell the truth and be open because otherwise what's the point of journaling? The reason behind journaling is to address what you're feeling, to let out some information, to to improve yourself, to better yourself, to encourage yourself, to heal. 31 ways to self care was written because my whole goal was to help you heal. So in order to help you heal I had to go through the process myself and I'm not talking about just the book. I'm talking about everything in this book. The 31 ways that I chose or God helped me choose for this book are things I've done to heal, to help myself, to set myself free from some emotions, some situations, some people. Can I be honest? And so when you have a journal or you're going through, Uh, self-help or self-care, when you're going through improvement, self-improvement, you have to number one, be honest. Otherwise, there's no point in doing it if you're just going to lie to yourself. We talked the other week about perception. Here is where there is no perception. This is truth, 100%. If you stink, say you stink. This is my I perceive that I might smell a little, no, I stink and leave it there and now fully go into it. I think because I was rude to this person, I wasn't talking about smelling bad, but you can go there too. I'm just telling you that in order for you to move forward, in order to let go of negative places, things, and people and ourselves are included in that. You have to be open and honest. And so those questions (laughs) really helped me jumpstart conversations with myself. Had I not had the book, I'm not sure I would have known where to start with the introspection of myself. I had a daily introspection of myself from, I want to say, March 2020. Right when they told us about or, or we started learning about the pandemic till now, I still continue. I may not do all the steps like you see, I need to pull out my 31 ways to self-care because there are some things I'm not self-caring the way that I should be. So I'm going to go back to my tips and tricks. I wasn't doing the 3000 questions, but I was doing something to help me see who I was on the inside and how I was feeling. I'm doing it daily now because I had stopped for a minute. How many of you, when you start feeling good, you stop taking the medicine? Well, that was me. I started feeling good about myself. I really loved myself. I was doing the darn thing. My energy was good. My vibe was popping. People were being attracted to me that had the same kind of vibe because, you know, what the vibes that you emit sends out responses to people. Right. And they come to you based on those vibes you're putting out there. So that's why you notice when you're down, you attract people that you're like, "Eh, no, 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 two broken people really don't need to be together but it's a vibe that you're putting out. So my vibe was great, A plus. Oh yes, beautiful, wonderful, I'm going cloud nine. And I forgot that this is a constant work in progress. Do you know that you never stop working on yourself? Because every day you go through something, whether it's a traffic jam and you're angry And you say some choice words or do some sign language that's not appropriate, whether it's going to work at a job you don't want to be at. So you have this attitude before you even walk through the door or if it's working for somebody who's disgruntled and cranky and grumpy and gets on your nerves, whether it's coming home and having to deal with children who have lost their minds or a spouse where you have to walk on eggshells. Every day you deal with something, no matter how minor or how major, but you deal with something. So every day you need to be working on yourself. Self-care is not just 31 days. Self-care is not just 31 weights. If I truly were to do a self-care book on everything on the planet, there would not be space paper time to do it these are just some ways I want you to get into the habit of doing things to care for yourself and then I want you to incorporate other things if you notice during the podcast all of this has to do with self-care everything we talked about from week one to today and beyond will be about self-care And I'm going to go beyond 31 podcasts, messages. As a matter of fact, a lot of the messages haven't even been placed into a book that I've written yet, but there are different areas and different tips and different things that we can do to care for ourselves and to be better. And I want you to get that because when you purchase 31 Ways to Self-Care, I don't want you to think. There are 31 days in January, March, May, July, August, October, and December. So those are the only months that I'm going to self-care because those are 31 weeks. No, when I was given the book, the reason for 31, that number, was because at the longest months, you would still have something to do every day. But it's for your life. This is something that you can do and complete and do again and complete and do again and complete. As a matter of fact, I want you to do that. I want you to continue working in the journal, the 31 ways to self-care. And I want you to go back to it to see if your answers and your condition, the way you're thinking is the same as it was six months ago, a year ago five years before. I want to see if you have the same mindset. You should be changed. If you're really working self-care, if you're really working the journal, if you're really working self-improvement and bettering yourself, you should not be the same person. You should be better. But the choice is yours. You have to really look inside yourself and see what it is that needs the improvement. If you think you are perfect as you are, I'm sorry, ma'am. I'm sorry, sir. That is not a true story. There is no perfect person. What may be up today may be down today. It used to be tomorrow. But things happen so quickly and swiftly now that your mindset could be one way at 1 o'clock and a different way at 1.30. Case in point, today, I felt great. It was a beautiful day. It was wonderful, lovely. And then out of nowhere, I got sick. I wasn't feeling well. I was sluggish. I was tired. I felt exhausted. And I'm like, wait, but I started this day so lovely, so great, so wonderful. What? But that's how swiftly something can change. And just because I felt sluggish, And exhausted physically doesn't mean that it was caused by something physical. It could have been something mental, something emotional, something psychological, something spiritual, something financial, something relational, and it came out in my physical form. Stress is one of the biggest keys that can change how you feel, how you react, how you act, how you move forward. Stress can cause you to have a headache where there should be no headache. Stress can cause your blood pressure to go up where it should not even be up. Stress can cause you to go into a depression that you shouldn't be in. Stress can cause you to flip out and wild out on someone that you would never stress or wild out on. Stress is deadly. And so you constantly have to monitor yourself and see, What's causing this? What's going on with me? Why do I have this headache? Did I eat? Have I drank water? Have I um, eaten properly? Because we could have eaten, but now did I eat something nutritious? Did I eat too much salt? Did I eat too much grease, too much fried stuff? Okay, if my eating is well. Did I exercise today? Did I get in any moments of walking or jumping jacks or treadmill time? Did I do any of that? Okay. Um, Did I sleep? Did I rest? Did I get good rest, good sleep? Was I tossing and turning? Did I stay up too late and wake up too early? What about my relationship? Is there any stress there? Is there anything negative happening? Is there A conversation I need to have that I'm dreading having? Is there a person who's attached to me that needs to no longer be attached to me? And I don't mean just your dating relationships. I'm talking about friendships, family, any relationship, business associations, all of it. Am I spiritually okay? Have I meditated any? Have I spent any alone time, still time? Have I... Um, done any of the routines that have helped my boost my spirit up. And this is what you look at because anything being out of line and out of alignment can cause your headache, can cause your knee pain, can cause your neck ache, can cause your shoulder pain, anything. So you want to take stock and see what's going on with you. So you have some answers. No, you should not self-diagnose, okay? I have to say that because I am one who, (laughs) the uh, computer is my best friend um, and will self-diagnose. There are times you need to go to the doctor and get a checkup so they can see if all systems are go with you, to see if there's nothing hidden, nothing that needs to be addressed. You should want to do preventive Medicine instead of reactive medicine. Going to the doctor allows you to see things that may be beginning to bother you, that may be a cause of concern later on, but because you've gone early enough, they can catch it. It's better than not going to the doctor until something is wrong and now is reactive. They have to try to stop what could have been prevented had you gone to the doctor earlier. That's for somebody. That was not our conversation for today. Looking inside yourself. Okay. He goes on. And if tears should fall from my eyes, just think of the wounds they can mend. I need to stop right there. One of my favorite lines is coming next. The next two lines. But this, I need to stop. A lot of us have stopped crying. A lot of us have gotten tired of the pain tired of strain, tired of rain. I just wanted to run a little bit. And because we're tired of situations, we have bottled up our emotions. We get angry, we suppress it. We get frustrated, we suppress it. We feel hurt, we suppress it. We feel pain, we suppress it. We wanna cry, we suppress it. We wanna scream, we suppress it. And what happens when you keep pressing down, pressing down, pressing down on something, it eventually erupts and explodes. The danger in that is that once we get to that level, we usually do not have control over our emotions. When that gets to that level, unfortunately, someone who does not deserve it gets it because they're there, whereas the people who cause everything else aren't. So, you know, you might be mad. Give you an example at Fred, because Fred is very rude. Fred talks. And when he speaks, he's very disrespectful. But instead of you addressing that with Fred, you let it go, but it frustrates you. And so now the next thing you run into Lance, Lance, is one who always asks you for something. Lance wants to borrow everything instead of uh, buying it. That frustrates you, but you let it slide. Now you run into Joe. Joe wants you to do everything for him. He can't do anything for himself, and you are already busy. He doesn't respect your time, but you allow it and you continue. Now you run into Mark and Mark is lazy, he's on your job, and the supervisor has given you a project to do with him, you know that you will be doing all the work because Mark is lazy. Mark will not do anything. Okay, and finally, you run into Tony. Tony is very arrogant. He looks down on anyone who does not have uh, a degree. He's a supervisor. And he just irritates you because he thinks that you don't belong in the position. You're a mere person to him, uh, not even personal, but you are. I'm trying to get um, without getting too much. uh, He sees you as just an assistant, no matter what your position is. You're never going to be on his level. So he talks down to you. He um Criticizes you in public. He throws you under the bus. That's who Tony is. You don't address it. So now you have frustration, irritation with Fred, Lance, Joe, Mark, and Tony, but you've never addressed anything with the five of them. You go home, and your daughter, Belinda, comes to you crying or whining in a voice and says, Mommy. Joe. Oh, no, I have a Joe in the story. Mommy, Jerry punched me. Jerry took my homework. Jerry did this. Jerry did that. Oh, mom, please. And now you walk to the bedroom and Jerry, who was acting like an eight year old and teasing his seven year old sister, gets it. You go off. You just let loose, and even though he has done something wrong, he does not deserve the full brunt of your tirade because he didn't cause your issues at work that day. Fred, Lance, Joe, Mark, and Tony did. Those are the people who caused the frustration, the irritation, the anger, the feelings of uh, being insufficient at your job, not having the necessary tools or the necessary degree or the necessary training. Those people cause you to feel that way. You feel like you've been taken for granted and used, abused. You feel those emotions because of Fred, Lynch, Joe, Mark, and Tony, but your son, Jerry, your eight-year-old who teased his sister gets the full brunt of what these five other people deserve because you kept suppressing what you were going through in your day-to-day life. This is why it's dangerous to suppress emotions. Tears heal. Tears wash away. No, of course, society has told us, don't let them see you sweat. Don't cry. Dry your eyes. Okay, that was a song. Sorry. Let me be serious. Society and even in our homes and our families have told us that tears are a sign of weakness. But I want to dispatch that thinking right now. I want to change your thinking right now and tell you tears are a sign of strength. Tears say I can't handle what's happening right now, but I am releasing it so I can get better from it. The wounds that they could heal. That's what he said. All the wounds that could be healed just by crying and getting it out. Crying is I acknowledge this hurts. Crying acknowledges that there's pain. Crying acknowledges there's frustration, anger, whatever is going on with you. And it makes you acknowledge that there is an issue. And because you've acknowledged that there is an issue, now you have the capacity to heal. Now you have the capacity to change what's going on with you. That's why tears are so important. That's why suppressing emotions is dangerous You don't want the wrong person to get years worth of voices that have been silenced. Think about being in an abusive relationship, a a verbally abusive relationship, I'm sorry, where the person has constantly told you you're nothing, you'll never be anything, that your life is worthless, they wish they had aborted you. Yes, I'm talking about from a a parent standpoint. They wish they had aborted you. They wish they had given you up for adoption. You are no good. There's nothing that you can do that will ever be right. Imagine being in that verbally abusive relationship and then walking into a relationship, a romantic relationship where all these years, all those years, you have been battered by someone's words. You have been neglected. You have feelings of abandonment because they did not give you love. They did not show you what it was to be loved by them, by a parent. And now you're in a relationship and you are depressed. You're sad. You're low because of everything that you have been taught, everything that has been fed to you, everything that's been poured into you. You have suppressed all those years of people telling you you are nothing, you are worthless. As soon as your significant other, your spouse, does something, you snap off. And they're looking at you like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) It's not that serious, why are you acting out like this? But you think you're justified because you finally have your voice and nobody is going to silence you. Here's the problem, yes, you should have your voice. No one should silence you. But why are you taking everything out on this person? He was not the one who silenced you. He's not the one that dumped on you. He or she is not the one that caused you years of tension and frustration and bitterness and anger and betrayal and neglect and abandonment. It was the parent. But you suppressed and suppressed and suppressed and then it exploded. You don't believe me? I've been through it. I had an absent parent growing up. I had a parent that broke promises growing up. I had a biological father that divorced from my mother. And it seemed to me as if because he divorced her, he divorced me. It also seemed to me that he was trying to get back with my mother, so he used any opportunity of coming to see me or calling me on the phone to find out what my mother was doing, what my mother was wearing, how my mother felt, and everything else about her, more than he asked about me. So I have feelings suppress- suppressed feelings of anger bitterness every negative emotion you can imagine when it came to my biological father the one that hurt me the most was his broken promises he would promise that he would come pick me up and take me out I lived um on the east side of town in Patterson and on Saturdays my friends and I who lived on the block and the blocks surrounding us would come together and we would play outside all day long it was beautiful we looked forward to Saturday more than any other day of the week because Saturday was cartoons. Yes, it was chores, but we were slick about how we did our chores. We did those things hurriedly fast and first thing in the morning so that we could watch our cartoons in peace, eat our cereal, wash up, put on clothes and go outside and play all day long. Go in the house for lunch real quick and come right back out and we pick up where we left off. Saturdays were the best days. And so when my biological father would say he was coming, it was always a Saturday. So not only did the him not showing up cause problems for me, but it was the fact that the best day of the week when I get to hang out with my friends, you have interrupted and then didn't show up. I would be at the window from sunup to sundown when he said he was coming. I will look for him every time a car drove down our block. We did not live on a busy block. We were in the suburb part of Patterson. And so there wasn't much traffic. So when cars would come down, surely this must be the biological father that promised me he was taking me to see little orphan Annie this week. And so there were many different, I'm just using that as an example. And so I'm waiting and I'm watching and I'm looking and I'm searching and I'm waiting and I'm watching and I'm looking and, my, and I'm searching and I'm in the window. I don't even go sit in the chair. I don't go look at cartoons. I don't go look at uh, Soul Train. I don't look at any of the karate shows that used to come on Saturday, which I love to. I didn't look at any of that. Nothing. I looked at the window. I looked outside and saw all my friends playing, running up and down the street. Uh, playing kickball, stickball, football, anything, jumping rope, playing jacks, anything you can imagine they were doing without me. I'm sitting there in my cute little outfit. Hands being uh, hands, holding up my head, looking out the window, waiting for the car to come. That's going to take me to my day of pleasure and fun with my biological father. Sometimes the majority of the times it did not happen. I would fall asleep at the window. Okay, so in our house, we had a radiator and the radiator had a radiator cover so you could actually sit on it, lay on it. It was that thick, that wide. And so I would lean on it. I would fall asleep waiting for this car to come that held my father that was going to take me on this fun adventure that I told all my friends about. Because they knew, oh, her father's coming. She might be going shopping. She's going to get the new kicks that are coming out, those new sneakers, you know, because that's what he would do. Or the new jeans or the new something. When we went out, I was going to get something new. I found out later it was kind of a little bribery, but we we won't go into that right now. And so my mom would wake me up. It would be dark outside. It would be like 9 o'clock at night, 8 o'clock at night. And she was like, come on, go take your um, bath and go to bed. And it wouldn't happen just one time. It was consistent and it was constant. And here's the thing. I would be angry, but I wouldn't say anything. He would call on the phone, maybe a couple of days later, it wouldn't even be the same day. No, it would not be the same day. It'd be a couple of days later, he would call, he would apologize and promise me another trip. And because I wanted to see my father, I will believe that promise and he will break it again. He will break it again. He will break it again. On the fifth, sixth, seventh time, he might that might be the time he showed up. And when he showed up, he came carrying gifts and money and and, and and clothes. It was kind of to me as I got older, when I was younger, I would just take it and be like, OK. But as I got older, and started looking at it. It kind of, to me, was like, in order for her not to be angry, let me pay her off kind of thing. But we'll get into that another time. So anyway, this happened consistently from the time my parents divorced. And I want to say they divorced when I was four or five. I'm not sure. I was little till I stopped dealing with him at the age of 16. That's a long time to go through. That one emotion of you breaking your promises and me being angry because you broke your promises. There were other things that were going on, but I just want to address this one thing because it became key in later life. So at 16, I stopped dealing with him. I I stopped talking to him. I stopped communicating. I was done. Let us fast forward to me being in my early to mid 20s. I was dating, I was separated, divorced, and now I was dating. And the person I was dating was unavailable, commitment-wise. We'll talk about that. <laughs> this going to be another episode. But he did to me the very thing that my biological father did to me. He would make plans with me and then cancel them. Sometimes he would call ahead so that I could be prepared that it wasn't going to happen. Sometimes he waited till the last minute to call. And one or two times he didn't call until the next day. And can I tell you what happened each and every time he did it? I fast out. I snapped out. I got physically violent, not to him, but I would throw things. Break things. Punch things. I got so angry. I cussed him out from here to Toledo and back. I called him every name under the sun, but a child of God. Yeah, this was my BC days. Well, I I mean, I knew I knew Christ, but this is before God did a change in me. But I'm just being honest. I want you to understand it. I got so irrational and so irate. He would say, I don't understand why you're so angry. Well, of course he wouldn't understand why I was so angry because he didn't understand I had daddy issues. He saw the dad that raised me in my life. And like most people, he assumed that was my natural father. Now he's the dad that raised me. He's who I call daddy. That's my daddy. However, I was still the little girl hurting from the neglect, the abandonment, the rejection of my natural father. So when he did that one thing, breaking a promise, breaking a date, uh, being late because he did that, too. He would be late. Any of that, I would be in a tizzy. I will flip out. And guess what? He was wrong. Absolutely was. When you make plans with someone, you're supposed to stick with them unless it's a huge emergency. And if it is an emergency, give the person enough time to prepare for that emergency and never, ever stand anyone up. Have the grace to at least call and cancel. So he was wrong. However, the way I reacted to him was way above and way beyond what he deserved to have. But because I was so hurt as a child by these actions of my biological father, I took it out on him because I didn't say it to my biological father because I had suppressed it from five or six, all the way up to 16, because I had those emotions that never were addressed, now I was taking it out in my dating relationship. And so this is what I wanted to share with you to show you how dangerous it is is to suppress your feelings and emotion because even though someone may do something wrong to you, Even though somebody may do something that hurts your feelings, it may not be worth the way you react to it. You may go all out and get them told and give them a piece of your mind when in actuality, a calm conversation, you addressing it, it wouldn't happen again. With you telling someone, hey, listen, I don't like being stood up. Can we agree that you will at least give me a phone call if you have to cancel? And if you have to cancel, can you give me a couple of hours notice so I can plan something differently unless it's an emergency? That's a calm conversation. You can even go deeper and say, you know, growing up, I had a biological father who would make promises to me, stand me up, and it was something that really set me off and irritated me, but I never said anything. So I don't wanna go there with you. I'm just letting you know. Information is so important. Open and honest conversation communication is 100% necessary in a relationship. And so I say this to you Because suppressing emotions is dangerous for both parties. Suppressed emotions have gotten people killed. Suppressed emotions have gotten people physically injured. And we don't want that. That's not, no, no. Talk about your feelings. If you can't go to the source of who caused the pain, go to the source who created them. That's a conversation with God over and over and ask him to heal you and release you. You can go to a therapist or a counselor or a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a life coach and talk to them about these issues so that you can work on releasing them. You can go through self-care activities, self-care programs, self-care ministries, things like that in order to help you get these emotions out, but just suppressing them and pushing them down and putting things on top of them is unhealthy. And we're looking to have healthy relationships with ourselves and with others. So then Nipsey goes on to my favorite line of this whole song. The first time I really listened to the song, to the words, I burst into tears. He says, and just think of all the time I could spend just being vulnerable Again, one of the things we lose in life, in heartbreak, in heartache, in betrayal, in rejection, in neglect, in feelings of incompetence, in feelings of losing our voices, in suffering in silence is our vulnerability. Trust is gone when someone does something to us. And it's so hard to get trust back. We stop even trusting ourselves. Yeah, I said that. It's a true story. We stop trusting ourselves. We stop trusting ourselves to select people who will do us right because we've selected people who did us wrong. We stop trusting ourselves in business decisions because we may have failed in a business. we stop believing and trusting in ourselves when it comes to -to day-to-day decisions because some of our day-to-day decisions we're still paying for 18 19 20 21 years later and we get this coat of armor around our heart and it's hard for us to be vulnerable with anybody including ourselves perception remember it's hard to even sometimes be be to be vulnerable with ourselves because now i have to acknowledge that i may have caused pain somewhere i may have allowed pain in my life i have may, i may have made the wrong choice or the wrong decision i may have linked up with the wrong person the wrong crowd i may have become attached to something that caused an addiction an addiction and so we become hard-hearted to ourselves as well because we can't handle the truth. We don't trust ourselves. We beat ourselves down. We are our worst critics. We can condemn ourselves better than anybody else can, even though I will still say it's a close tie between parent and child because they can say some things that make you just fall out. But we can do that to ourselves as well. So we get this thing where we are no longer vulnerable. We enter into new relationships and we are hard hearted. We don't want to give people the opportunity because so-and-so hurt us. So because so-and-so hurt us, you're going to hurt us too. It's just what happens. That's That's what's supposed to happen. I've been dumped on for all my life. Why would you be different? So we don't give them the opportunity to show us who they really are. You know how uh, Maya, Maya Angelo said, when a person shows you who they are, believe them. She didn't just mean in a negative context. If people show you the good in them, believe that as well. We're so quick to talk about the bad areas, the bad things, the bad choices, the bad things they do. But there are people who have good hearts and good sides, and they only change because of the way we treat or mistreat them or the way life hurts them. But give people an opportunity to show you good or bad who they are and be willing to be vulnerable, be willing to be open to a chance for people to be in your life. It's so important For you to open up yourself and to open up your heart. It is. I want to tell you right now. um, What the definition of being vulnerable is vulnerable. Is the ability to be susceptible to physical or emotional attack or harm. A person being in need of special care, support, or protection because of age, disability, or risk of abuse or neglect. Being liable to higher penalty. Okay, that's business. I want to keep it personal. Being vulnerable. Andrea's definition is giving someone the opportunity to hurt you, but taking the chance anyway. You're holding out your hand with your heart in it and trusting them to take good care of it. It's saying, I believe that you will love me. I believe you will have compassion for me. I believe you'll be concerned for me and I believe you'll treat me right, I believe. And I'm giving you the open opportunity to do it. Even knowing in the back of my mind You could hurt me. I'm still going to take a chance to fully, even at the risk of having my heart stomped on, give you a chance. That's being vulnerable. That's in a dating relationship. You can be vulnerable on your job. You can be vulnerable at the church. You can be vulnerable in school. You can be vulnerable in your family. And it's saying the same thing. There's a possibility That you may hurt me, but I'm going to trust that you won't and give you the opportunity to be a part of my life. Even after I've been through pain with someone else, even after I've been attacked or I feel some sort of damage, I'm still going to give you the open, full opportunity to be in my heart. That's being vulnerable. And that part hit me in the song because I realized I have not been vulnerable for years, years upon years. My first real adult heartbreak, because I've had the first puppy love heartbreak. I've had the college love heartbreak. I feel like I'm about to sing new edition, any heartbreak. (laughs) That I got two verses in, but my real adult heartbreak when I was engaged to be married and it didn't work, that heartbreak took away my vulnerability. That heartbreak took away my belief in love, my desire for real love, and my belief that someone could love me. It took it all away. I was wide open in this relationship. I was open. I was, I believed everything that was said. I was, I won't say naive, but I just didn't believe that anything bad could happen in this relationship. There was no way. I had true belief and trust in this relationship. So when I was betrayed, when I was hurt, when I was heartbroken, it Tore me apart, it I could not breathe. if I could not breathe was a person, it would be me, and so, from that moment on, I was no longer vulnerable. I didn't know what it was to be vulnerable anymore because of that pain. I opened a heart for what let down my guard why. I didn't even address it because my heart was like, bruh, (laughs) I walked away. I'm down the street. You remember how we used to see people who would um, jump the trains and they would have the stick or they would run away from home, the stick with a a bandana wrapped around it, with all their earthly goods. And that was my heart. It was walking down. It was gone. It was like, nah, I'm good on that. Now, I I don't ever want to feel that pain again. And I was not vulnerable. And it wasn't until this year where I had a conversation with my sister that I realized I haven't been vulnerable. I sleep with one eye open, meaning every relationship I go in, I'm looking at you like, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. sure. Uh huh. And I'm not giving you the best of me because the best of me is walking down the road with a stick with a bandana tied around it. My heart is out. My heart is like, I'm not, uh, uh, I don't want to feel that again. And I've been hurt, but it's never devastated me the way that relationship, nobody got the opportunity to get there. Nobody. And so when I addressed it with my sister and talked about it, I said, I don't even know how to let my guard down. What do you say? Guard down. And I had to go through with her how to be vulnerable it's the actual acceptance that i'm going to love you fully with everything i have even knowing you have the power to hurt me that's not an easy thing to do but it's necessary and i guess we'll talk about that another time because i don't know how um we, yeah, we need to discuss that because I, I need to share some information and some thought, thoughts with you about being vulnerable. But when he said that, I boo-hoo cried because I remember vulnerability. I remembered even not just relationships, but friendships, vulnerability in family, vulnerability on the job. I remember every time that, my heart would close and say that's it i remember my first (laughs) my first majors you know what i mean and so i didn't give people the opportunity to hurt me again i got to a place where i did the hurting where i shut people down where i didn't care about people where i could care less but god continued i would feel my heart i would be watching a commercial and it wasn't even a Christmas commercial because you know how those Kodak commercials used to be. And then it was the grocery store. I can't remember if it was Kroger or Publix. And then it was the coffee commercial where they would have over the holidays and you would just be boo-hooing because the soldier came home to the family or the, the, the mom got the gift. And then the gift was like a picture of her love that passed away, you know, all that stuff. So I'm not talking about that. It was like during the year, not a holiday. And the commercials would come on with abused animals, with um, I can't think of the children who are suffering. I cannot think of what it was. All these things would be happening. And I would be sitting there boohoo crying. And I'm like, "Uh, Lord, um, what is this? I have watched these things and I never boohoo cried, but I felt him changing my heart. I felt him softening it. I felt it. And I was like, oh, Um, I don't know, Lord, I, I don't recall praying for a softening heart, but in order to serve his people, in order to lead his people, in order to give a word to his people. I had to have a softened heart. I had to be vulnerable. I had to be willing to share some things that I only shared on the surface. I had to go deep with some things and in order for me to go deep, I had to feel for them. I had to feel I could trust them. I had to feel that I can speak to you all with my hurts and my pains and my falls and my failures and not worry about judgment and not worry about naysayers or people laughing at me or gossip or ridicule me or ridiculing me. I couldn't worry about those things. But in order for that to happen, I had to have a vulnerable heart. So in order for my heart to be vulnerable, God had to soften it. and That process was a doozy. I was crying every five seconds and still God is continuing to soften my heart because there'll be moments where I just want to lay out and cry. And I'm like, Lord, what's wrong? Why am I feeling these things? Who am I pulling on? Whose spirit am I feeling? Do I need to go into prayer? Do I need to lay prostrate? Do I, what, what? God working on me because my guard has to be let down. I can't say I love people, but I got a 10 foot, 20 foot, 60 foot pole between me and them emotionally. And so that hit me. If I could feel. What would you do if you could feel honestly? If you could see inside yourself and like what you see, if you could be yourself unabashedly, unashamedly with people, if you didn't worry about judgment and condescension and people looking down on you and throwing you under the bus or talking badly about you, how would you feel knowing that you can trust the person that you're dating, that you're married to? How would you feel knowing that your friendships are real and that people are not stabbing you in the back, but they are genuinely who they say they are? Well, if you are not open to being vulnerable, you'll never know the answer to those things. Yeah, people may talk about you. People may try to use you. People may take you for granted. People may hurt you, but you have to have a willingness to put yourself out there. That's how you feel. You can't feel sitting behind the batter's um, plate in the uh, batter's box. In the box, the bullpen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In the bullpen. You don't know what it's like playing the game just sitting there watching. You've got to participate in your life. You've got to participate with your feelings. Yeah, there's a chance. 50% chance that they can hurt you. But there's also a 50 percent chance that they won't and they'll love you the way you've always desired. But what was it that the Bible said? To be a friend, you must show yourself as a friend. To be friendly. You must show yourself friendly. Something like that. To be a friend, you must to have a friend, you must be a friend to love or to be loved, you must first love. They have to see your vulnerability and that'll allow them to be vulnerable. And just because someone is honest about everything doesn't make that a vulnerability. It is a willingness to be hurt, to be attacked, to be humiliated, to be used, to be abused. It's a willingness that says, I'm letting my guard down. I present to you my heart take good care. And I'll do the same with your heart. Whether we're in a romantic relationship, whether we're in a friendship, whether we're family members, whether we're co-workers, whether I'm your employer and you're my employee, whether I'm your church leader, whether I'm your um, community advocate, no matter what area we link in, being vulnerable is important to give and to receive. If I could feel. Thank you so much for tuning in to Straight Talk with Andrea Joyce tonight. I appreciate you sharing some moments with me and walking down Memories Lane with me. If you have not purchased 31 Ways to Self Care, it is available on Amazon and an ebook on Kindle. You can also get it from my website. If you order it from my website, I'll autograph it and give and write a personal message for you. Uh, my website is www.authorandreajoyce.com, www.authorandreajoyce.com. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. I'll see you next week, same time, same channel. God bless.